BC uh, before cell phones. How many of you? How many of you? How many of you come on, no, don't be ashamed. We'll lift it up. You remember? Just hold it up for a second. I just want to see. Do you remember the time? Oh, no, don't be waving. No, I got you back there. I see you. Before cell phones. You remember that time? Do you remember when you were going to go somewhere? It was almost like a special ops you know, uh, operation. You'd have to plan. All right, we're going to meet here at this square at 4 o'clock when the sun strikes the side of the building and the shadow throws to that side off a sundial. And if anybody's late, you know, your mom's done called the FBI trying to find out where everybody's at. Anybody remember all that drama? Remember, you had to coordinate all this stuff. Oh, forget it. Going to the mall was a whole deal. You know what I mean? If you didn't meet, I thought you meant the other food court. Oh, forget it. You know, the police are out. It's a manhunt. Can't find anybody. Do you remember all the drama that we used to have uh, during that time? You'd coordinate all the meeting times and um, uh, all the crazy things that you do. And if some of you remember this. What did you always have to have with you in the car uh, when you left the house? You always had to have, your mom would say, here's a dime. Some of you didn't even know you could buy anything for a dime. You just could buy a phone call for a dime. How many, how many remember when you buy a phone call for a dime? Yeah? It's, and the other you go into 30, you'd be like, well, where? Like, where would, you, where would you do that? Well, there was these little rooms you could go in. And they were like on the sidewalk. You know, they'd be on the side of the road. They were all glass. You'd pull this little door back and you'd go in. There was a phone in there. It was called a phone booth. I, I remember we were in Gatlinburg a few years ago, and there was uh, one left over from, you know, the dinosaur age. And we were walking by, and I remember our boys went, what's that? And I went, oh, no. That's what happens. That's what happens when your parents tell you one day you're going to feel like I do. I went, oh, no, I'm my parents. I'm old now. They, you don't know what a phone booth is? How do you not know what a phone booth is? Do you remember this? And, and then remember when you used to go somewhere, like you didn't, you know, directions. Anybody remember directions? Somebody remember? You, uh, where are you going? Well, do you have directions? Now, if you're in a third, you don't know what I'm talking about. You just go navigate to, and you're gone. We used to have a thing called directions. And so what that would mean is you take out a piece of paper and someone would be drawing all kind of stuff on there or handwriting all this stuff down. Or, or, or if you're like me, because, you know, I, I, I'm being male, half the population, I think, didn't want to stop for directions, had too much pride. So I went to Sam's Club and bought one of the big old wind-up atlases, you know, that would have 50 states, have a map for all 50 states. Come on now. And it'd have the metro area, and you'd look at the highway, and you'd pull over about 38 times on the way somewhere because you'd keep changing roads. You wouldn't know where you're at. Come on, how many of you had an atlas? How many of you had a big map in the car? Yes, yes. Now I'm not alone. Good. So glad to know that I wasn't alone in that. See, that is all the drama you had before. Well, uh, then you can understand what I was going through when I was about 17, and a buddy of mine and I went over to Arkansas. We lived in Memphis, so we went to Arkansas to go canoeing. And uh, now that I realize there were no pay phones back in there, and you know, I don't even know if we had an atlas, and there's no way to contact my family. I have no idea why my family let me do that. Like, I think of my kids driving off like that with no phone. I don't even know how, you know, you chronic warriors, you'd die. Everything's not gotten worse. You know what I'm saying? Cell phones have made a few things better. And uh, we were off there. Our car broke down, me and my buddy. And we're sitting there at, a, you know, at this gas station. I'm just going to tell you, if our country's ever invaded, I can take you to some places in Arkansas. They won't find you. And that's where we were. We were back off in there. I don't know if we stopped for lunch or what happened. But we came out. Uh, and we got in the car, or whatever old car we had, and it wouldn't crank. It's just two 17, 18 year old kids. You know, we probably had about 38 cents left. You know, real prepared. No phone, no, no way to do nothing. We're stuck. And so we're sitting there, and I can remember him and I looking at each other and just thinking, you know, what are we going to do? Like, we've exhausted our four minutes of car knowledge. 
We've done everything for the car we can think of. And I remember us sitting on the side of the road in Arkansas in that old truck, looking at each other. And uh, he was a new believer, and I was, I was a fairly new believer. And I can remember us just saying, I guess we're just going to have to pray. And so we just started to pray. We said, God, you know, we don't know what to do. Like I, like, I don't know how far you'd have to walk to get anywhere, but we're here. God, help us. I mean, I, you know, you have to help us. We don't know what to do. Would you help us? And, and as soon as we stopped praying, this guy came over to the car, and uh, I don't even think we still had the hood up. I think we were just sitting there. And he goes, hey, uh, you guys need any help? And we went, you know anything about making cars run that won't run? I don't know. Let me look at it. He got up under the hood and tinkered around, got some tools out of his car. About 15 minutes later, he had us up and running and gone, and we headed home, and I don't even remember what was wrong with the car. But I can remember sitting there thinking, because I had only been a Christian for maybe a year, maybe, maybe a year and a half. I remember sitting there thinking, God, you were here the whole time. I just didn't know it until I needed something. But you were here before I prayed. You were here all along. And, and, and this moment of awe hit me. Like, oh, I'm a lot smaller than I thought, and God's a lot bigger than I thought. And he's more places than I thought he was. And that's what this series is about. Last week we talked about how uh, modern psychologists have generally agreed that there are 10 universally experienced emotions. And in 2007, another psychologist wrote a book called The 11th Emotion where he argues that the 11th emotion is awe. The 11th universally experienced emotion is awe. And so he says in the book, the defining characteristic of all is ego death. Exactly what I experienced. Where we get smaller, our perception of ourselves gets smaller, and our perception of God gets larger. Awe is a moment where you decrease and God increases. And so last week I gave you this definition that we'll just continue on with through the series. Awe is when we realize what God is doing is more important than what we're doing. God is up to something incredible, and it's more important than what you and I are doing. So all is, all is the way that we react to God. When we realize that God was doing something we didn't know he was doing, or God is bigger than we thought he was, we have this moment, this expression, this encounter, and we back up and say, oh, this moment of awe. It captures us. So last week we talked about the awe of God's glory. Today we're going to talk about the awe of God's presence. Uh, there was a, a little girl that asked her mom, where's God? And she said, well, he's in heaven. Does he live there? Yes. Well, well then where's Jesus? He's in your heart. Well, I thought Jesus and God were the same person. How could they be in heaven and on earth at the same time in my heart? Well, sweetie, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. So where does the Holy Spirit live? Stop asking questions and go to bed. <laughs> this, this whole thing's complicated. But this question is a question that is universally asked from childhood all the way up. Where is God? The person who's seeking to know the truth wants to know 
where is God? The skeptic wants to know where is God? Every person who has suffered or uh, has felt rejection or has felt abandonment from God wonders where is God? Is he really present? And there's this little word that I want to focus on this morning. Um, the word presence, if you take a little four-letter word and put in front of it, it is a good description of God. The word is omni. Omnipresence. Omnipresent. And it just basically means that God is everywhere at the same time. So this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to just give you two uh, thoughts about God's presence. And the first one I've just given you, God's everywhere. <laughs> now that might seem like an understatement. God is, the Bible teaches us, inside every believer. If you're a Christian, if you follow Christ, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so God is in you. The Bible also describes the church, not the building, but the people, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is inside the church. He is inside God's people when we gather. But the Bible also teaches us that God is everywhere. Now, this is very hard for us to understand because we, don't, we can't even be at more than one place at a time, let alone two places at a time. I remember uh, the first year uh, that our boys played baseball. If your kids have ever played you know, sports, you'll understand this. It just so happened that our, our, one of our sons was in t-ball and the other one was in kid pitch. And... Um, it just so happened this first year that everything lined up perfectly, but I didn't know it because we'd never experienced that before. Both their practices were at the same time at about the same place. Their games were at the same time at about the same field. You know, we'd go down to the field and we'd pick our lawn chairs up when one was over. We'd walk over to, you know, the other diamond and put our lawn chairs down. And we'd wonder why everybody was so stressed about this kid sports thing. We're like, this is easy. We just come out about three days a week and move our lawn chair around, kick some dirt, say hi to people. You know, what's everybody stressed about? Then the next year came. <laughs> and I didn't know that that was coincidental because the next year, every practice and every game and every event for both kids was on opposite times. And baseball season overlapped basketball season for three weeks and underneath it, we were doing 45-minute Taekwondo sessions four days a week. And I'm just telling you, we got done with that, and we said, it is finished. <laughs> we will not do this again. You pick one sport, and you're going to love it, and you're not going to do another thing because we want to live. And we stopped. But if you've been a parent of a young child, you know how it feels to not be in two places at once and wish you could. <laughs> we, we are so limited in this way. We have a hard time understanding how God can be everywhere because we don't have anything to compare it to. God is all-powerful. We have a little thought about that. We have understanding that. We have some power. We have some strength. So we can relate to God in that way. God is all wise. 
We can relate to God that way. We have some knowledge. We have some wisdom. So we can relate to God that way. But we're so limited in our own presence. The best we can do for someone else is to tell them when we can't be there that we're thinking about them. That's the closest we can come. But we can't really be in more places at one time, so we have a hard time understanding. Psalm 139, 7-12 says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise, now if you have a pen or some way to highlight, I want you to circle this one phrase that's so important that we'll come back to. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, circle that, the wings of the dawn. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. In other words, you can't hide in the dark from God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God sees the same at night and in the day. He doesn't have sunglasses. He doesn't need infrared vision. God sees all things all the time because God's everywhere all at the same time. I can still remember uh, the first backpacking trip that I went on a few years ago. Actually, the first legitimate one, if you've been around for a while, you've heard about the first one. I won't rehash that. Uh, the first legitimate one, where I actually had the right equipment and all that. Uh, it was our older son's 16th birthday, and he wanted to go backpacking, so we you know, rounded up a little group, five or six, seven of us. We went off into the woods. We were at Blue Mountain Shelter in Talladega Forest, and uh, we just made it to the campsite, and the sun was going down. It was nearly dark. And the temperature was starting to drop. And so we hung out there the night at Blue Mountain Shelter that's right on the side of a beautiful mountain that angles like this. And so you can kind of see out. And uh, we, you know, packed up in our tent. Five of us squeezed down in this little tent for the night. And the wind just whipped up on that mountain all night. 20, 20 25 mile an hour gust. And that tent would just expand and contract and expand and contract. And, and we laid there, and, and it, was, uh, you know, it was such a long, long night. Um, I had this uh, phenomenal headache. I don't get a lot of headaches, but I had this, what I would almost describe as a migraine. My head was about to bust open. It was hurting so bad. It was such a long night. And so finally, about the middle of the night, I realized you know, what had happened. Uh, since we were on a little hillside, uh, the guys had set the tent up because they had never set a tent up before, on a slant. And my head was at the bottom of the slant. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. And so the blood ran to my face all night, and I was wondering why I had this throbbing migraine, and finally I got up and put my head on the other end and smelled feet all night, but I realized that, that this is what the cause of this was. And it, look, it was a long, 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 long. If you've ever been you know, camping or backpacking, you kind of know how this goes. You lie there for hours, and, and you're cycling in and out of consciousness about 30 or 40 times, and you feel like you've been there for about three days, and then finally you break down. You've been saving this one moment because you didn't want to waste it, you know? You, you want time to pass. And so you've been saving this one moment for what feels like hours and hours and hours, and then you go, I can't hold it anymore. I'm going to break down and have this moment. And you sit up and ask someone, hey, what time is it? And they say, 1030. 
And you go, it's not even tomorrow. Are you kidding me? How is time moving so slow? How does this happen? The next morning, I, I got up and just before daybreak, and I went out and stoked the fire. And from our site, there was a clear view directly to the east with beautiful uh, rolling mountains. About seven or eight hills away, I saw a small burst of color change. And in just a few minutes, the first ray of sunlight broke through the sky and shot across the mountain range. It was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. And in Psalm 139, that's what this verse is saying. The wings of the dawn is the first ray of light off the sun. If you could get on it and ride it as far as it went, when you got to wherever that ray of light was going, God would already be there. That's what that verse means, or the wings of the dawn. It's a poetic Hebrew way of describing that God is absolutely everywhere, and God is already waiting for you no matter where you go. This psalm is saying God will never lose you. It's not, you're not like car keys that he misplaces. God will never lose you. He'll never lose track of you. He knows where you are all the time because you can't go anywhere. He's not. I can remember another time this um, thought came to me about, uh, I don't remember what year it is. Some of you will remember this. Do you remember maybe, maybe in the late 90s, I think, or 2000s, when the year the government shut down, they couldn't agree on a budget, and the government shut down, and we had gone to Gatlinburg, and we were up, I was with uh, my wife and uh, her, her sister, Jeremy and Tiffany, and uh, uh, our father-in-law, Ron, was with us there. And so we got there, and if you know him, you know, like, uh, rules aren't a big deal for him. You know what I mean? And so I'm kind of in that vein. So we got there, and we were going to go to Cades Cove, and we were so disappointed when we got there, the government had shut down, and it didn't register with us. That means state parks are closed. And we went, well, they're not closed because we're still paying taxes, so we're going in. So you couldn't drive in, so we decided to go in by car. And the whole way in, he was going, hey, what if a bear came out of there and mauled us? What would you do? You know, I'd throw myself on it and kill, kill, it, kill myself for y'all, and you could run and rescue. That was, that's him. If you know him, that's him. And so we were in there walking, and all of a sudden we broke through the trees into this little plush valley. And it's winter, and it's cold, and the air's thin and crisp, and the sky's blue, and the mountains are all around. And we walk, and all of a sudden I hear this noise. And it's this stream gurgling, flowing. And all of a sudden this thing hit me. I was, we were sort of walking single file, kind of randomly. We didn't know where we were going. And as I heard that, my mind went directly to Psalm 23. And, and I, I just started to cry as I walked past that stream. And I thought, God, is that what you meant? When Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. God, is this what you meant? Is this kind of what David was seeing when he wrote this verse? You restore, like this stream is refreshing this valley. And you know what I learned? You can go all the way to the bottom of Cade's Cove and God's still there. There's no, and it, and it, it, it caught me. 
It created a moment of awe. Because I thought, I thought the government shut down. They don't know we're in here. Maybe God doesn't know we're in here. But he did, and he was already there. In the Old Testament, there's a great king named Solomon who built a beautiful temple to God. In the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that God lived in the temple. It's not like the New Testament. He didn't live in people's hearts. He didn't live in, in the church uh, people. He lived in uh, the temple. And so in the Old Testament, we understand that he lived in the temple, and Solomon completed this temple, this gorgeous, beautiful, phenomenal temple in honor of God. But the Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And he asked a really important question in 2 Chronicles 6.18. He said, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? That's the question. Will God really, will God really live here? I mean, is that really how this is going to go? But then watch this. As soon as he asked the question, he answered it himself. He said, the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I've built? Somehow, because God gave Solomon so much wisdom, even though the New Testament had never existed and Jesus had never been to earth and the Holy Spirit hadn't taken Jesus' place, none of that exchange had happened, but Solomon in his wisdom already saw this dinky little temple, which is phenomenal by human standards, is no container for God. God can't be contained in this little human building. So when you came to Kingwood Church this morning, you, you came to worship. And boy, we worshiped, and we worshiped really well. But I hope that you didn't think when you came today that God's presence was somehow more here in this room than His presence was in the car with you on the way. I hope that you don't think that somehow God's presence was more here with you in this room than he was when you were trying to get your kids dressed and there was a family argument and breakfast was burned and nothing was working out and you got up late. I hope that you don't think that God was more here than he was there. Because the Bible says he's everywhere. He's not more anywhere than he is anywhere else. God doesn't dwell in holy places or holy spaces or holy buildings or anything like that. God is everywhere all at the same time. So what, is that, what does that mean that God is everywhere? Well, it, it means a couple of things. One is it means that you can ignore God and you could run from God, but you can't really hide. So living two lives, like a Sunday life or a church life and then another life, or living one life in front of your family, but then another life when you're away from your family, none of that really works. Or, or, or hiding, trying to hide your sin. Or maybe you've been hurt or wounded or rejected, so you just emotionally don't know what else to do. You just give God the cold shoulder. I'll show him. I'll just block him out and ignore him for a little while. None of that really works because God loves us too much to react to any of that. He loves us too much to not be everywhere. It's his love that forces him everywhere. He has to be everywhere because we're everywhere. One of us is. It also means that God is with me wherever I am. I don't have to be at a church building. I don't have to be with other Christians. Now, think of this. I don't even have to be doing the right thing. Maybe you grew up this way or maybe you've heard somebody say this. Don't you go in that movie theater and watch that movie. If you do, God's not going to be in there. If the rapture comes, you're not going to heaven. Right? You ever heard that? Wrong. 
It's not right. The Bible doesn't teach it for a minute. He says in this verse, if I make my bed in the pits of hell, God, you are there. God's not chased away by your sin. That would make you stronger than him. And you are not stronger than him. His love is stronger than your sin. And so, even when you do something wrong, God is still there because God is absolutely everywhere. So where is God? Well, God's everywhere. Here's the second thought. And God is close. God is close. God's close when we don't realize it, and He's close when we do realize it. He's close when we believe Him. He's close when we doubt Him. God's like the air we breathe. Odorless, tasteless, invisible, but life-giving. God is like radio waves, invisible but moving. We don't realize it, but in this room today, there's thousands of signals floating through the air. There, there are microwave signals, shortwave, AM, FM, TV, cell phone. We aren't aware that they're here because we can't see them and because we're not tuned into them. But there are thousands of waves shooting through this room this morning. And God is here. Just because you don't see the waves don't mean they're not here. Just because you don't see the air doesn't mean it's not here. It's keeping you alive. It's helping you to communicate. And those things are true of God. When you think He doesn't hear you, He does because He's close. When you think He doesn't care, He does because He's close. I've shared this story before, but there's some of you probably who haven't heard it. And I just want to share it because it was... Such a powerful reminder to me how close God is. When, when our youngest son was uh, diagnosed with diabetes, it was, it was three of about the worst days of my life. I wasn't prepared for tragedy or sickness on that level. Nothing in my life had ever prepared me for that. And the months that followed were, were some of the hardest I can ever remember. They were terrible. And we were in the hospital, and you know how you do in the hospital when there's a tragedy. You just go day and night, and... Everything else goes on hold. You're just living in that world. And I was, so, I was so heavy. I was so burdened. I hadn't had time to pray, to think. I was just learning all about this disease because they, they would have classes every day and we'd learn and try to take in what we're going to have to do and all of this stuff. And it was just too much. And I can remember at, at Memorial Hospital in Gulfport, Mississippi, I came down from the floor and I was on my way home to... Uh, change clothes and shower and bring everything back. And on my way out, I just, I just broke through the doors of the hospital into the parking garage. And I was, my heart was so heavy. And, and I just I hadn't had time to think. And some guy was in the, you know, <laughs> the, the parking garage. It was all concrete floors. So sound just reverberates. And he had his doors open, both doors open. You know these obnoxious people that'll pull up to the car wash, have their music blaring so loud, your ears are going to pop. That's this guy. That's this guy. He's got the doors open. Except for one thing. He had the most beautiful worship music blaring out of that car. And when I walked through that garage door, it hit me in an instant. I knew immediately, and I just began to cry. And underneath the weight of all that pressure, I said, God, there you are. There you are. 
I haven't had time to talk to you. I haven't had time to even understand what this means. But you know what? You were, watch this, closer than I thought you were. And can I tell you something? God's closer than you think he is. Just because you don't see him doesn't mean like air you're not breathing. Just because you don't hear doesn't mean he's not sending signals through the air. He's closer than you think. There's this story in 1 Kings 19 where God was going to show a man named Elijah uh, how close he was. And so the Bible says, uh, God tells Elijah, sit in this little cave and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass by. And uh, all of a sudden, this incredible, violent wind started to blow. God sent this crazy wind that was so strong, it smashed rocks. And the Bible says it, it distorted mountains. I mean, can you imagine a wind that strong? And then the wind passed, and the Bible says God wasn't in the wind. And then this earthquake came and just shook the, the ground. And the Bible says God wasn't in the earthquake. And then this incredible fire scorched the earth. And the Bible says that God wasn't in the fire. And all of a sudden, when all of that stuff on the outside died down, the Bible says that Elijah heard a gentle whisper. And God was in the gentle whisper. And so here's the thing that you need to know about God a gentle whisper is a voice on the inside. It's a nudge. It's an impression. It's an idea. God's presence isn't dependent upon, nor is it often detected by our human senses. So we can't see God. We can't smell God. We can't touch God. We can't taste God. When you feel God is close... He's close, and when you don't feel God is close, He's close because His presence touches you on the inside. So, this morning, God is everywhere and God is close. Now, let's talk for just a few minutes that we have left, as we did last week. What do you do if your sense of awe of God is not real high? What do you do if you say, I hear you? But I don't experience any of that or much of that. Or I don't register God or I don't live in that. Well, let me give you a few thoughts that you can do. And I'm just going to give you um, a little formula here. How do you live in all of God's presence? Here it is. Awareness plus acknowledgement equals all. Awareness plus acknowledgement equals all. So let's talk about uh, awareness first. What you can do is practice awareness. Maybe you've heard people say it like this. Practice the presence of God. That's a real spiritual way of saying the same thing I'm saying. Practice awareness. The more aware of God's presence we are, the more awe we live in. So we have to remind ourselves. So David is writing in the book of Psalms when he's running from this crazy King Saul who's trying to kill him. And he gets in the back of one of those dark caves and he's depressed. And he says, come on God, where are you? And he says, why so downcast, oh my soul? He starts to talk to his soul. He says, wait a minute. He reminds himself. So awareness is one of the ways you can do that. Now, uh, I want to throw this idea out at you. If you've ever heard, how many of you have ever heard of the idea of sacred pathways? You've ever heard of sacred pathways? No, no one's heard that concept? Okay, great. Well, here they are. <laughs> um, it's the thought 
that you and I connect best with God in, in different ways, in a variety of ways. So go, go ahead and put that on the screen. So here they are. Some people, as you can tell from the stories I told this morning, I hope, when I get in nature, I feel like I'm not far away from God. That's just how I feel. I, it's easier, I'm more aware of God's presence when I'm in nature than I am when I'm not, than when I'm at the mall. And so that's just how, kind of how I'm wired. Uh, senses. Some people, uh, when they uh, touch things, see things, do things, uh, traditions. Some people are very moved by um, uh, deep traditions and rich traditions of the church. Things that the church has been celebrating for hundreds or thousands of years. Those things are deeply moving. People's awareness, some people are very high. Solitude and simplicity. Some people, when they get alone and quiet. Uh, some people, when they champion a godly cause, they're, they're activated. They feel they're more aware that God's moving when they do that. Uh, serving others. Um, cel celebration and passion. Some people, and, that, and the electricity of that, they, they seem to be more aware of God. Reflecting and resting. And then um, study. Some people are just energized that way. When they get rich and deep in God's Word, they are so aware that God's there. And so you can Google this, Sacred Pathways, and you'll find all kinds of stuff about it. The thought is this. If you're going to practice the awareness of God's presence, you're going to find a much easier time doing it if you do it the way you do it than trying to do it the way somebody else does it. So if you find those spots for you, you will have this sense, this expanding sense of awe and greatness. So practice awareness. Practice your awareness. Raise your awareness. Another way you can do it is in your devotions. You know, read the Bible. Uh, 15 minutes a day. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. We're talking about the person that studies deeply. Just read the Bible. 10 or 15 minutes a day in your devotions. The, the other one is um, worship service at church. Make worship service at church a priority. I, I, I've never seen anybody, never, I've been doing this 25 years, I've never seen anybody distance themselves from the church but what their awareness of God did not go down. It goes down. But when you, but when you experience the presence of God in the church, in the worship time, in preaching, in whatever, in prayer, your awareness of God will continue to go up. It'll go up. Now, you need them together. You need devotions, that private time, and worship. Either one of them will leave you missing something, but together they are a powerful dynamic. Here's the second thing, okay. Awareness. Practice awareness. And then we did it this morning. Acknowledge God's presence. How do you acknowledge God's presence? God, I see you. I hear you. I know that you're here. When you have a moment where you're suddenly aware that God's there, talk to him. Don't, don't go, I wonder what to do with this. You don't have to know what to do with it. Just talk to him. God, I, I know that you're talking to me. I know that you're here. I know This isn't an ordinary moment. This is a supernatural moment. And I know that you're saying something, doing something, or either you just want me to be here with you. But I acknowledge right now that you're here. Prayer is the great way. I asked you in January, the word of the Lord to us as a church in 2017 is, will you recommit 
to the presence of God and prayer this year. And the way you're going to recommit to the presence of God in prayer is your awareness to come up. And when it does, you acknowledge God. Will you pray? Will you worship? Will you come to soak next Sunday night? Will you set other things aside and say, God, you're more important than anything else in my life? I want to be where you are and I want to be I want to see what you're doing, and I want to be in on it. I want to be part of it. I'm going to reprioritize what I'm doing because I long for you. Okay. Awareness, acknowledgement, and you know what happens right after that? Awe. Awe. You live in the awe and the wonder of God's presence and work. If you've ever looked at someone else and said, wonder why they always, you know, have this perspective or this thought or this feeling about God. And I, I don't ever be able, I don't, I'm not ever able to get there in my own thinking. Why, why is that? It's because they live in an expanding sense of awe. And the only way to do that is to be aware of God and then respond and acknowledge, God, that's you, that's not me. And you value his presence and you value his work and you long for it and you hunger for it. And so my prayer this morning, all day has been, God, increase a hunger inside of our hearts today for you. Increase inside of our hearts a longing for you. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm just going to ask our prayer team to come. And this is how we're going to end this service. See, I'm very aware today that I'm limited. All I can do is talk about this. But I can't change anything. I can only talk about it. I can only tell you what the Bible says. I can only tell you what I've experienced. But I can't change anything. Only God's Spirit can change anybody. And so this morning, we're going to sing a worship song we've already sang we're going to sing it again we've ended a little early on purpose so we could sing this song through and here's what I want you to do if you say maybe you're like me you say I want to recommit I want to want God more I want for prayer and God's presence to grow in my life but if I'm honest today I just have to admit I can't do it I'm not strong enough. I'm not committed enough. I'm not determined enough. I can't do it without God's help. I have to have His help. I can't. You can't live a full, abundant Christian life without God's help. He didn't just save you to forgive you and then you work it out by yourself. So this morning, His presence is so here. God, Come now, do what I cannot do by your presence. As we sing this song, if you want prayer, I want you just to come and let someone agree with you that God's going to strengthen you and God's going to help you and God's going to help you live in greater awareness, greater awe, 
He's going to fill you today, and he's going to strengthen you today, and something's going to change in your soul today as you begin to pray. Come on, worship team, and just lead us. Just lift your hands and say, Lord, you're here. I acknowledge your presence today. God, you are here. You were the word at the beginning, one with God the Lord most high. Thank you, Jesus. You hid in glory in creation, now revealed in you our Christ. What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name. Sweet. 